This is The Catholic Current with Father Robert Mateig. People who are inclined to traditional liturgy, are inclined to traditional spirituality, are inclined to traditional morality. And you don't get invited to the cool kids table when you have those kinds of commitment. That's my hermeneutic of suspicion at work. Is that too darkly cynical on my part? Not all dark cynicism is wrong, I can tell you. <laughs> Could you put that in writing? I want to have that calligraphied. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like when there's a storm cloud, it's not rude to say, gee, I think the storm is about to hit. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. As always, let's start with prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, through the intercession of St. Ignatius Loyola, we ask that you pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us, a spirit of discernment, through my hear voice and obey your command. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, friends, it's Tuesday. You know, it's Timely Tuesday here at the Catholic Current. A lively guest and I talk about hot headlines affecting the church and the world, and then I wrap it up with timely thoughts. We're doing something a little different. You want to stay with us for the whole hour, because in the last segment, we're going to meet up with Barbara Caskell. She's foundress and director of the Mother Angelica Tour in Canton, Ohio, and president of the Living Bread Radio Network. And it turns out the late great mother, Angelica, foundress of EWTN, is coming up on a significant birthday. So that's at the end of the hour. To help us talk what's going on in the church and the world in light of faith, my returning guest is a, a listener favorite. You know her as the, the Crusader gal, Sarah Currier. Welcome back to the Catholic Current. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Sarah, you've heard me say on the air many times, I'm a dark, brooding, melancholic Irishman with apocalyptic imagination. And here we are in the octave of Easter, where I'm required by the church to say out loud at the altar of God that I am overcome with paschal joy. I'm working on it. It is a work in progress. I don't know that I've hit any milestones just yet. But I I thought we would try in in the octave of Easter to look at current events near and far and uh, in light of grace and, and good news. So we'll start with you. Do you have any grace and good news to share? I do, actually. At the Easter Vigil this year, so just a few days ago, I joined the Catholic Church. And what's what's funny about that is that so many of my listeners already assumed that I was Catholic because I've been using this slogan, the Crusader Gal, for a while now. And then suddenly a few people reached out and like, well, what, you mean you weren't Catholic? Well, you know, it's like I was Catholic before I realized it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I've heard of that too. And, and and you usually don't see Protestants and evangelicals get dewy-eyed about Crusader uh, imagery. Um, you yes. don't, but you should. I mean, because yes. at, the, at the end of the day, they wouldn't really have the faith without those people. And I do think well, yes. that we live in a sort of a, a time that's that's devoid of heroes and has no recognition of those people throughout the past who were willing to quite literally lay down their lives that we might have our faith. And instead, now you have the sort of romanticization of fictional characters over at Marvel where people don't realize those people who existed back in time who actually were willing to fight for the values that we hold today and that we cherish. You know, I I think back to, I was celebrating my 20th anniversary of priesthood and I had a, a beautiful Misa Cantata at a Carmelite monastery. And uh, the two grown servers and I wept through for awe and gratitude and, and the beauty of, of it all throughout the whole Mass. And after the Mass, uh, the server said, Father, look across the sanctuary into the uh, the choir where the sisters are behind the grill. And they all had torches and they were intoning the solemn Salve Regina because it was the feast, the solemnity of the Assumption of Our Lady. And I was transported back a thousand years. And I said, I saw with my own physical eyes why men got on horseback and rode to the far end of the world to to liberate Jerusalem and our Lord's tomb and all the holy places so that these consecrated brides of Christ could sing the divine praises in safety. And that's what I, so I had a visceral experience of I am an heir and therefore a steward of Christendom. And God will right. ask me at my particular judgment, have I been a good steward? The, the idea that somehow the faith just plops out of the sky. You know, one day there, there was a King James Version that God wrote and dropped on somebody's head somewhere in England. Uh, that obviously uh, d- didn't happen. And the idea that somehow 
uh, Christianity is this kind of quirky aesthetic choice we can make with no debt to the past or to the future, that's a monstrous lie uh, as well. And, you know, be before I got to know you and just saw your work, uh, there's obviously you're a Christian, and I said, I, th I think she has Catholic sensibilities. I wonder <laughs> if she knows that. Well, no, when, I didn't, but, but I was there reading the King James Bible with the so-called Apocrypha attached. So, right. <laughs> so, so there was that. Right, know, I was right. like, I don't understand why people just threw out these books. And there's like, well, there is this church that didn't, but it took me a while to sort of realize that. Yeah. Right, and right. As to, as to what you were saying, though, in regards to this, this kind of culture that doesn't recognize uh, those people of the past, you know, I keep hearing this phrase thrown around in, in modern culture that everyone's heard, and it's, Anyone can be bought, and people say it so matter-of-factly, and it drives me crazy because it's like, well, maybe you could be, and maybe you're already sort of selling yourself to, to the bidder that hasn't yet bid, but not anybody could be, and not everybody has been, and, and there were people who were willing to say, actually, there is a point that I will not go, and right. the people who've, who've given their lives for this, and I think that we should be reminded of that uh, in times such as now, when I do think that there is persecution of Christians on the horizon, people should be especially reminded that you don't have to surrender, you don't have to prepare to surrender and rewrite your own cowardice as the universal truth, because surely it isn't. Uh, friends, on this Timely Tuesday, we're speaking with Sarah Corrier, the Crusader gal. We're talking about good news uh, during this week of, of Easter, and we're talking about the good news that Cassero was received into the Catholic Church at the Easter Vigil uh, this Saturday. You know, when I was uh, a, a Jesuit, I, I did a little research when I was a Jesuit novice uh, at Jesuit Starfleet Academy, uh, did some research. The vast majority of um, Jesuit saints and blesseds are, are martyrs. I think somewhere upwards of, of 97 percent. At least that was the case uh, 30 years ago. And oh, oh my God, you, you don't have to give in. You can make a choice. So my question was, as a, as a young baby Jesuit at the time, these guys who went to their death uh, without hesitation, how did they pray? How did they live together? How did they worship? What kind of preaching did they hear? What do I need to get into me so that if the time comes, I can answer the call as, as they answer it? I don't see a lot of that type of talk today. I have to look over my shoulder and in, into the past. What about you? I, I would certainly agree. I, I do think that we have sort of a, a vacuousness in that regard that ought to be filled. I don't think we have enough people paying attention uh, to, to where we stand. And to, I don't think we have enough people and teachers preparing us um, for the future. Uh, and I, I think that those who who fought and who were willing to surrender and who were willing to do anything and everything must have had people who were inspiring them and telling them and advising them and instructing them and being their fathers. Um, and nowadays I do think we have that lacking. Well, you know, if uh, I'm going to link to a, a sermon that St. Bernard of Clairvaux gave to, to French knights to inspire them to uh, to liberate the, the Holy Land and defend Christendom. And and if you think the St. Crispin Day speech of Henry V is is inspiring, uh, you, you, you'll fall to your knees uh, when, when, when you read this. Uh, there, there was a, a call to absolute raw courage, and not just bravado, but a courage rooted in love. You know, uh, G.K. Chesterton said that, you know, the, the, the real warrior doesn't so much hate what's in front of him as as he loves what's what's behind him and my concern these days is there's not much promotion of love in our culture except maybe the self and not even the self but one's one's just experience of of, of pleasure and nothing is presented as worth living for and, and and worth worth dying for is that your observation as well Yes, and I'm a bit of a pessimist myself, but when I look around at our culture, I don't see a whole lot worth defending either. And maybe that's part of the problem, is that we live very disconnected lives, and we don't have the sort of communities that before were worth defending. Uh, nowadays, it's people who sort of exist, do the nine-to-five job, uh, go home, watch TV, don't have the sort of connectedness, aren't trying to build something with their lives, aren't pursuing lives of meaning you know, through Christ, then... then and because of that, there's, there's very little that they see around them besides, you know, major corporatism or consumerism, if you prefer. And that's not something that any of us 
really feel an inward desire to defend. And that's part of the problem is that we don't feel attached in, in an emotional way to those around us like we were supposed to, like, you know, like we're made to. So it seems to me then we're uh... – no one is going to be inspired to live a, a martyr's life and death in order to defend the glass and steel office building that he works in. Uh, right. Knowing is going to say, I don't want to go before God without saying, I made sure that my child was free to subscribe to Netflix. Or to say, before we died, we made the great pilgrimage to uh, to Disneyland. I, 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 I think you're right. There if if we want to find the things that are worth gathering around, the things worth bequeathing, the things worth living and dying for, recent culture, contemporary culture is is not the locus. Uh, we need communities uh, of culture that know how to worship, that know how to live and love and sacrifice. Friends, we come back. We're going to continue our conversation with Sarah Corrier, better known as the Crusader Gal. We're talking about is there good news uh, on this timely Tuesday. And the next time we're going to talk about the search for community and whether social media is a help or a harm. Remember, a rallying cry here at the Catholic Current is Christus Mundo Mundus Christo, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. We do it because our Lord says so for the greater glory of God, the love of our neighbor, and the salvation of our own soul. After the broadcast today, go to the stationofthecross.com, get our resources list, download our audio as podcast. Everything you need to take this conversation to your family and friends we give to you together let's take it around the world we can do it together we cannot do it without you we'll be right back please do stay with us This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, your daily host of The Catholic Current. Join me on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern. We'll welcome back theologian Kristen Barlow, host of the YouTube channel Dear Kristen. We'll be exploring how different temperaments experience and express joy. A good topic for the Easter season. Don't miss it. Join us on The Catholic Current on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. You're listening to The Catholic Current with Father Robert Mateig from the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Stay connected with the show, our guests, and topics by following the show on Twitter and Gab. Just search for The Catholic Current. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. It's Timely Tuesday. We've got one of our favorite guests on the line with us, Sarah Corrier, better known as the Crusader Gal. We're talking about, is there any good news to share uh, and that is a fair question here in the octave of Easter. We're celebrating that Sarah was received into the Catholic Church, the Easter Vigil, uh, on Saturday. Sarah, it seems to me that there is a, a thirst, a, a natural thirst for community, for connection. We're, we're made to be social we're social animals. Aristotle saw that we're made in the image and likeness of God as a community of persons. And I think one of the ways that the misplaced desire of for social connection is, is manifested in our time is with social media. And recently there's been a great stir the, uh, that Twitter is going to be rescued by none other than Elon Musk. And then a new golden age will dawn upon us. So let's take the second part first. What's your take on Elon Musk's... Uh, uh, interest in Twitter? And then secondly, what do you make of our contemporary desire for community? I don't think that Elon Musk is going to be a savior of Twitter. I don't think that I want to see Twitter even be saved. Um, Twitter's a monstrosity that's been created by different government handouts and incentives that should have never been in the case uh, to begin with, and that's why it doesn't exist in a free market. But in any case, uh, we already have sites like Gab where you can speak freely if that is your desire. Other sites like Twitter exist for people who want to be protected from other people's opinions. That's actually the reason that it exists in its current form. And uh, as, as far as Elon Musk as savior, I find that odd that so many conservatives or self-identified conservatives uh, would 
see him in that light because, well, A, he's not a conservative. I mean, you might just describe him as libertarian, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, he, he supports the universal basic income or the UBI. He wants a tax on carbon emissions. I don't see this guy as, as particularly a, a savior. He supported Andrew Yang. Yes, he criticized uh, the COVID lockdowns, and rightly so. But besides that, I don't see a whole lot there. What I do see is somebody who's you know, trying to make a name for himself with Twitter when we already have different, if, if social media is to be some beacon of community, which I'll get to in a second because it's not, but to the degree that it can be helpful in that regard, we already have sites that facilitate that like Gab that is, that is founded and ran by a man who actually believes in free speech and is willing to sacrifice and risk for it and has done so already. Um, but as for for, for social media in general, I, I don't think that's where we find community. I think that's where we go to find community that we can't see around us. And really, what, 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 is anybody a better version of themselves on Twitter? I mean, they're just this, <laughs> with, with snarky, sarcastic remarks. Really, is that, is that really what we're doing, building community there? No. We're interacting with people and usually arguing. That's what we're doing. I don't think it's good for most of us emotionally or spiritually. It's certainly not good for me. I don't spend a lot of time on social media at this point in my life, and I don't recommend <clears throat> that others do. But it's one thing to tell people, don't use social media. But there is a reason that we're drawn to it. It's because right. we live in a very disconnected society, devoid of that community that we intrinsically long for and yearn for because it's part of the human condition. And nowadays, we live in a society in which community is found, what, through employment? Because that's what most people do, right? Their only friends are found at the workplace, and they just kind of tolerate them and maybe go out for drinks every once in a while uh, and avoid politics and avoid religion because these are the topics that you can't really discuss because you don't want to deal with that during the workday. And then when you move employment, you lose all of your, your friends and your social connections. Like, is that the way we're supposed to live? I tend not to think so. Right. And I, I can't imagine that's what God intended for us. <laughs> Precisely. Right. And, you know, obviously, before joining the, the Catholic Church, I spent several months uh, going through an RCIA program, which, uh, you know, they, they obviously covered the, the basic tenets of the, th uh, of the faith as best they could to try and educate people of various different levels of knowledge who, who were coming in, some coming from an atheist background and some who were Christian converting to Catholicism. And what I found was that, for me, the most perhaps important and the most valuable part of that was that we ended up with a, a clique of people who then uh, on Wednesday nights after the RCIA went out for a drink and together we we talked theology and we talked the, the intrinsic issues of community and we became really close friends. And these are some of the best people that I've ever been around. I'm mm -hmm incredibly grateful to have them in my life at this point and it's something that we continue to do now or have plans to do now uh, after i have joined and they have uh, fortunately thanks be to god joined the church with me and i do think that's something that really can't be overstated the importance thereof i, I really don't uh, i do i will say during lent that, that the whole going out for a drink every Wednesday night became rather difficult because two thirds of us gave up alcohol. And then <laughs> it was confided to me by the guy who was serving us last week. He said, I thought you guys were an AA group with a couple off the wagon. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I, I think that's tremendously important. And I think one of the signs of sickness of our culture was, was even in Christian communities is a kind of a consumerist approach. You know, on Sundays, you go to church to check the box and to get the thing. And, and then and then you go. And the fact that we're all in the same pew at the same time is no more significant than being in the same line at the same 7-Eleven uh, on, on a Saturday afternoon. It's mere coincidence. We just happen to shop for the same thing and at the same place at, at the same time. I think that's a, a, a disaster. It's not what God intends. It's, it's very poor witness. I, I want to draw an analogy. When I was teaching at university, I, I found there were students who were desperate for community, who were desperate to have uh, older people pay attention to them. There was a mother hunger. There was a father hunger there. And any effort to have real community, people people ran to and, and clung to. And I was happy to provide that service, but how sad that, that, that they didn't grow up with it. So I, I think if we're going to be talking about, you know, we're, we're living forgiven, 
we're living in light of Christ's victory. We're celebrating the fact that people have been incorporated into the, the body of Christ, you in a more profound way uh, on Holy Saturday. Well, we can't, can't, can't go back to business as usual, just kind of ignoring each other, just kind of nodding and smiling uh, at each other as as we secretly think whatever you do don't get in my way in the parking lot when i get when i got to get out of here because real life begins once you leave church on sunday and i i've seen that as a layman i've seen it as as a cleric uh as well on your view since you've had an experience of really positive healthy christian community on your view what can christian communities do to uh reclaim that earlier Christian wisdom that we in fact do need each other? Well, I think they have to start by actually doing this, by, by electing to spend the time, you know, we're going to go out at a certain time or, or gather in a certain home at a certain time every week and, and get to sort of know each other and know what our community needs and what, what we need each other, how we can rely on each other, how we can build each other up. And, you know, I think that is sort of fundamental to where we go from here is with these small communities. That's how communities work. There is always somebody with a problem because that is the human condition. Oh, and we can help each other and overcome that. And in so yeah. doing, work together as a group uh, to build something going forward. And I think that what we want really is a sort of parallel society where, where, where good Christians, where good Catholics can join together and support one another in the coming times as they become more perilous. And I do think that the persecution of, of Christians uh, is coming in the future. Oh, no, no, that's certainly true. I mean, I mean, it's landed early in places like Nigeria and, and China, of course. But but in the United States, uh, I I believe that the secular principalities and, and powers have Christian institutions in in their crosshairs. I think, in particular, transgender ideology is going to to be coming for Catholic healthcare providers and and Catholic institutions. I have absolutely no doubt about that. I really hope I'm proven wrong, and if I am. I'll gladly announce that on the air. I'll even sing the Te Deum, but I don't think it's <laughs> going to happen. Uh, and, and you know, when my research when I was a Jesuit novice about how Jesuit martyrs died, Jesuits tend to die in large numbers. They tend to die as as a local community. So I said to my brothers one time, I said, I don't know if that inspires you or desolates you to know that if you're going to be a martyr, you know, the guy dying next to you is going to be me. But it does raise a nice question of how. Should we live together now so that if we had to, we could die together well? And, you know, Jesuits are also very good at, at leading resistance, forming those cells of communities that pushed back a against the darkness. And I think for the most part, a lot of our Christian communities don't even know that that is an option. And, and I think it's going to become a necessity sooner than later. What, what do you think? I do. And I think that people would be surprised at how quickly they can become close to other people of faith when they, I think the easiest way most likely is to work with them on a common project. And when we build things together and when we improvise together, we end up forming friendships that, that are closer than you might expect. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago before, before Easter, of course, and there was a, a charity project that we were doing at the church. We we're basically just giving away food to these uh, poorer families. And so they, they needed, I think it was a four day excursion where we were kind of working and re redesigning this food and organizing and overcoming various different obstacles that happened as different companies failed to, uh, you know, do what they were supposed to do and all of this. And I, and I realized at the end of the four day affair that the people who had been volunteering in this respect were extremely close much more so than you would expect for people who just spent a, a few days together, you know, a few mm -hmm. hours of every day together. But that's what happens when we, when we work together overcoming obstacles and building things. And it's like, I know so many people who work regular jobs, we'll say, but who have ideas about the side businesses that they would start if they only had the time and so on. It's like, well, maybe, maybe the time is now, you know, because maybe we shouldn't wait until we all sort of lose our jobs because of one thing or another, like maybe we should actually start helping our different uh, friends and encouraging them and raising each other up. I know uh, I had the good fortune of meeting a man who was willing to walk away from his career at a, a regular grocery store here because he was being forced to 
distribute uh, Plan B. And he mm-hmm. was willing to just walk away from his his career as a manager at that store because he wasn't willing to to play a role in that. And that's, I mean, it, it's an incredibly moral and good thing for him to have done. It yes. took courage. Yes, um, and I think that what we need is is to have communities as, as fallbacks to protect people like that, to employ people like that. We need people preparing that there is going to be a time when even in small in small ways like that, you're going to be forced to make the choice. Are you going to stay here as the manager on the career path that you have chosen? Or are you going to walk away into a, a certain degree of uncertainty? And it's like we were talking, you were talking before about the persecution in Nigeria. And yes, that is extreme. But even if you look at more traditionally, I guess we'll just call them civilized countries. Look at England, where people are being arrested for preaching the truth about homosexuality. Or in Canada, where people are being arrested for being willing to hold services during the COVID lockdowns. I mean, we talk now about uh, about how it's okay to be Christian, but in our culture, it's really not socially acceptable right. for people to make faith-based decisions. Right. We're, we're definitely not invited to the cool kids table if, if we're doing it for real. Friends, we come back on this Timely Tuesday. We'll continue our conversation with Sarah the Crusader gal. We're talking about is there good news on, in this octave of Easter? The short answer is yes. In the next segment, we're going to talk about uh, can we vote our way out of the, the human condition? After the broadcast today, go to the station of the cross get our resources list, download our audioist podcast. Wherever you can find audio, you can find us. Follow us on your favorite channel, write a five-star review. Let's get the word out there. We'll be back in just two minutes. Stay with us. This is the Catholic Current from the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Catch up on an episode you've missed or share them with your family or friends. The Catholic Current is podcasted wherever you enjoy listening. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. You know, it's Timely Tuesday here at the Catholic Current. You know what that means? A lively guest and I talk about hot headlines affecting the church and the world. You want to stay with us for the whole hour, and the last segment we'll be meeting up with Barbara Gaskell. She is the foundress and director of the Mother Angelica Tour in Canton, Ohio. Uh, the late great mother Angelica is coming up on a significant birthday this year. My returning guest now is uh, Sarah the Crusader gal. We're talking about good news on this Easter week, beginning with her reception into the Catholic Church on the uh, vigil on Holy Saturday. Uh, Sarah, not long ago, I, I looked at a video, and I think it was a, uh, an Anglican clergyman who is, as they say, crossing the Tiber. He's, he's coming over to Rome. And he said the Church of England has started this new initiative that is uh, going to eliminate racism wherever it hides in absolutely every form. And there's going to be committees and, and blue ribbon panels and papers and documents and more, and et cetera, et cetera. And they said they talked about everything to eliminate racism except conversion to Christ. That just wasn't on offer, but it seems that human initiative and just sheer act of the will with lots of good intention can uh, expunge human weakness. I want to draw an analogy to the American political uh, situation. We've got a midterm election in November, and there are people who are absolutely convinced that this is the election for the good people to show that they're mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore, and it's going to change everything just you wait. Are, are, are you buying it? Can we vote our way out of the human condition? No, even if we had free and fair elections. Um, because, uh, because people are flawed, ultimately. But also, I mean, if, if you want to look at the American political saga, I mean, I know you don't want to get too partisan here, but I shall a little bit. Uh, when you look at the, the Democrat side, what you see is people who are now parading evil as good, quite literally. Mm-hmm. When you look at the conservative side, they're on their way. I mean, who are we looking at as the voices of grand morality who are going to come in and save us? Lady Maga? You know, for those who have the <laughs> the good grace to not know exactly who that is, it's a, it's a man who dresses up in drag, but it, it's shows up at all the different conservative, wink, wink, conferences and does so to applause. Or maybe it's the people who 
the, the youth groups, the Republican youth groups that now parade their different young people with their different, I guess, almost strip club-like events, because that's what young people want now. I'm not really sure where we're going with this, but I don't really see many saviors on the so-called conservative horizon, because right now, Republicans aren't conservative, and I would say they haven't been for some time, because what it used to mean to be conservative was to have some respect for and to wish to conserve the Christian values that underpin the, the best of the of Western civilization. And we're not doing that. In fact, you have all of the mainstream uh, political pundits that are Republican or conservative leading, leaning, embracing people like Dave Rubin, who announced not just his gay marriage, but then his buying of children who were conceived through IVF. I mean, at what point do we say, you know, there really isn't a good guy here. There isn't even anybody trying to be a good guy here. And that would at least be a start. Right. And I, you know, I'm going to have uh, Dr. Jennifer Morse of the Ruth Institute. Uh, we're going to speak next week. She talks about the death of secular conservatism. And it was in response to the Dave Rubin thing that, that he and his, his life partner, I won't call him his husband, you know, they bought children. And, and that can't be celebrated. That's not something that, that I want to promote or to conserve. So that, that old question of, can you be good without God? Can you be conservative without a reference to the transcendent? And I'm going to go full Catholic here and say, can you be in a sane, healthy, truly humane culture without recognizing Christ as king? Hierarchy, hierosoke, holy order, the logos of the Father, the eternal word of the Father is his only begotten Son, the Christ of God. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Human culture and civilization depends on being in harmony with the will of the Father as expressed through his Son. Absent conversion to Christ, we, we inevitably must fail. All the goodwill in the world and all the claims in the world, you know, if, if conservatives are just progressives going at a slower pace off the cliff, which is what I think they really are, then, then no. Then we have to look at, 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 at something different. I think we need to start building parallel communities. I think we need to start building um, cells of, of resistance. And I think we need to start looking at building faithful remnants and help them to be both faithful and remnants. We need both the spiritual works of mercy and the corporal works of mercy. We need to be, as our Lord says, wily as serpent, as, as innocent as doves. As a Jesuit, I'll, I'll focus on the wily part and, and let the others deal with, with the innocent <laughs> as doves part. You know? <laughs> yeah, you can't give what, 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 what you don't have. But Sarah, seeing what you're seeing and in light of you know God's own strong work in your life, which you've you know, responded to so, so generously. Um, what? Why do? You, why do you have hope? Why? Why, why keep on trying? Well, I think that's what we're called to do. I mean, I think that's that's quite literally our mandate. Um, and and I do think that there are always uh, reasons for hope, as long as you know Christ died for us. So there is that. But I, I will. I also want to say that. You were talking about our our culture and our conservatives and their attempt at sort of secularizing what can't be uh, secularized. And it, it is actually one of the, the reasons or one of the elements that kind of converted me to Catholicism was because I do this work as a political and cultural commentator. And because of that, I, I read a lot and I try and I have tried, you know, as a, as a Christian before I was Catholic, to promote the sort of values of Christendom and of the West when it was great. And the thing is that the more that you sort of read of the best of the West, the more that you see the Catholic Church. It's The two aren't separable. When you look at the, the best of Western civilization, when it was good, not that we've ever had or will ever have a utopia, but when you look at the high points there within, you can't really differentiate it from the Catholic Church. Right. 
Right. Well, you know, even uh, Stefan Molnu, you know, I, I've been following his work on and off for years. When I first met his work several years ago, uh, he was a garden variety atheist. It wasn't very interesting. It wasn't very challenging. And then he met Dr. Painful. Duke Pesta, uh, who was um, – and, and Dr. Pesta, if you're listening, please call us. We, I want to interview you. He helped Stefan to come to the point – and Stefan said this in so many words – civilization is Western civilization, and Western civilization is the Catholic Church. There we are. I, I think we need I think we need to be able to, to say that out loud. And no, yes. we don't hate non-Christians. No, we're not calling for violence. But, you know, in the West, uh, what used to be called Christendom, since at least the time of the French Revolution, we've said, hey, you know, it'd be a great idea. Let's ignore everything we ever learned and let's live without Christ in our public and private, formal and informal lives. It'll be great. And we ended up with a lot of bad art and even more dead bodies. I, well, think, I don't think people. Sorry, Father. No, no. I, I, I think we we need to do better than that. I think we need to reconsider that. Go ahead. Yes, and, and I, I don't think people realize just how sort of our society has been built in opposition to individual faith. Everyone thinks that we we simply have religious freedom here, and they, and they take it for granted as a phrase. But it's like, well, to what degree? Right. Because that's actually not what I see. I see that people have religious freedom to say, "I'm Christian." And leave it at that. And mm -hmm. they're expected to leave it at that and, and be silent and not actually do anything about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had the good pleasure of meeting a man who had worked as an OBGYN, a traditional practice, and had had to walk away from that because he wanted to switch to a family, a natural family planning clinic. And he was basically forced out by his employer, the, the healthcare provider in the area. And it's like, that is the reality of what it is when you decide, no, I'm going to be Christian. I'm actually going to live out my faith uh, in a modern society. We don't have a society right now that says it's okay to be Christian. We only have a society that says it's okay to say that you are. And there's a distinction there that needs to be made. Right. Uh, as as long as, as you don't have Christ with a cross, as long as you don't have Christ with absolute truth claims, as long as you don't have Christ determining good and evil, uh, as long yes. as you have a Christianity that doesn't acknowledge natural law, then we'll get on just fine. And, you know, C.S. Lewis warned us about this in the screw tape letters, what he called Christianity and. And so it's always the and that's the most important. You know, Christianity in the current crisis, Christianity uh, and, and spelling reform. And so Jesus of Nazareth becomes our religious mascot to endorse our, our favorite uh, our favorite cause, you know, would Jesus drive an SUV? Truly, Jesus would would eat only plant based protein, and you know, we we kind of mold him in our own image ra rather rather than 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 conform uh, to him. So I, I, I ask you to, to to step up a, a little bit, and if you had say three minutes to talk to Catholic pastors of parishes, how would you advise them as to what the needs are and, and how they might respond? I know a lot of guys who are working really hard, and it's just maintenance. Keep the flag on the pole. Keep the keep the doors open when Mass is scheduled, and that's it. And I don't think that model, if it ever worked, it can't work anymore. What, what are your suggestions to people? Well, from what I have seen... I think that there are so many attempts to sort of water down the messages of the church and that's, and it's done to try to convert people, to bring people in. And it's actually like you're conforming the church in a sense uh, to, to the society that's around us. And I don't think that's appealing. I think that the very appeal of the church should be, and, and is to, to me at least, that it's not changing, that it doesn't waver, that it stands on certain truths, that it accepts that those truths will still be the truths a thousand years from now and were a thousand years ago. And that we should be preaching these things they should be preaching these things uh, to the people who come to them to be a source of grounding uh, in, a, in very turbulent times. And when you look at the churches that are doing well and those that are doing poorly, I think it's quite evident there within that those that are trying most to appeal to the young generation who supposedly need to you know, receive this sort of tame version uh, of Catholicism, they're not doing well. Those that are doing well are those that are actually you know, paying attention to to tradition and that aren't being so lukewarm. And so I would urge people to actually uh, to speak stronger and, and to be more vocal and confident in what is true because that's what people need. We have a society that's 
living in, in somewhat of a rejection of truth because, I mean, you look at the transgenderism thing that we're talking about earlier briefly. It's like that whole ethos is all about whether or not we're willing to speak the truth to people who aren't willing to see the truth in themselves, who are in the middle of an identity crisis, don't know who they are, can accept their intrinsic worth. And our society says, yes, you have no intrinsic worth. So instead, let's let's work with this fake idea of who you are and who you ought to be uh, based upon feelings. Like That's not the truth and we shouldn't be saying it. What we need is more pastors who are willing to speak truth in every regard in regard to transgenderism and abortion and these other issues that so many uh, shirk from. And at the same time, they should be working to sort of build communities and create community projects wherever possible so that those people that they bring in can rely upon each other in a society that rejects them for their acceptance of that truth. They should be trying to build these, these communities and these projects and get them together to create these parallel societies because the, the time is coming where these people will have to rely on each other. We can't survive without that fellowship. We can't survive alone as individual Christians against the world that's not how it works amen and uh, and and I, I, will, I will add this people are going to find out very quickly that lukewarm catholicism both offers too little and costs too much safe catholicism is not going to survive what's coming up next uh, sarah the crusader gal a uh, newly minted catholic uh, as a, as of holy saturday uh thanks be to god for sharing your joy and your faith with us we look forward to next time thank you so much as do i this is Jesuit Father Robert McTague. You want to stay with us for the rest of the hour on this timely Tuesday? We have a special guest, Barbara Gaskell. She's founder and director of the Mother Angelica Tour in Canton, Ohio, president of the Living Bread Radio Network. And we're going to be talking about Mother Angelica, the late great Mother Angelica, and a significant birthday that is coming up. Be part of the conversation. Follow what we're following by following us on Gab. That's G-A-B dot com. The channel is The Catholic Current. After the broadcast today, go to the station of the cross.com, get our resources list, download our audio as podcast. Everything you need to bring this conversation to your family and friends we give to you. Together, let's take it around the world. We'll be right back. Stay with us. The only thing new about the heresies in the church and the schisms in the church today is it's mixed with satanic worship. We in the church have gone from enneagrams to centering prayer to solstice worship to goddesses. And you buy it as something new. It's as old as Satan himself. The Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. After today's broadcast, go to the Catholic Current Show page on thestationofthecross.com for info on today's guests, the show resource links, and to sign up for our weekly email of upcoming shows. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Father Robert McTague of the Society of Jesus, your daily host for the Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You're listening to us from the Station of the Cross Studios, your local radio station, and the iCatholic Radio mobile app, where we proclaim the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. It's a timely Tuesday here at the Catholic Current. It's also Tuesday in the octave of Easter. We're looking for good news to share. And there is uh, an inspiration I want to draw on. It's one of the reasons why we're here at the Catholic Current and the Station of the Cross. It's one of the reasons why Catholic media has become the source of strength in life. It has in my lifetime. We need to remember the late, great Mother Angelica. And I understand tomorrow would have been her 99th birthday. Uh, to help us talk about Mother and, and get a real insider story, we have here the foundress and director of the Mother Angelica Tour and Museum in Canton, Ohio, and she's also president of the Living Bread Radio Network, and we're very happy that she partners with the Station of the Cross to broadcast the Catholic Current. Barbara Gaskell, welcome to the Catholic Current. Thank you so much, Father. It's an honor to be on your program. Uh, thank you, Barbara. Fill us in on Mother Angelica. You wrote a book called The Amazing Life of Rita Rizzo, The Early Years of Mother Mary Angelica. Uh, when I hear Rita Rizzo, that sounds like a, a nice Italian girl I went to high school with in, in, in New That's, Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> Who, exactly. Who was who exactly. Rita, and how did up, she become Mother Angelica? Well, she grew up in an Italian neighborhood in um, Canton in the uh, 20s, um, in a pretty rough neighborhood, Father. It was called the Jungle. 
uh-huh. uh, where she lived. Um, Canton in those days was uh, known as Little Chicago. That's how corrupt Ooh. it was. Okay. And so she lived in an area where there were um, pool halls and gambling dens, and um, it was a pretty rough neighborhood. Um, so she grew up, She uh, later in life we found out she had, had a lot of chutzpah. And uh, mm-hmm. when you look at her early life, uh, you certainly know why, because she had such a difficult early life. Her father um, abandoned the family by the time she was five years old. He went to California with another woman, uh, left she and her mom on their own. Very, very difficult time. As you can imagine, they ended up getting divorced. And, of Mm. course, Father, we're talking about the 30s, 1930s, so you know what stigma. Unthinkable, unthinkable. Yes. Yes. Great stigma attached to that. Sure. Um, Had to, you know, live with that, knowing that her father, she, she said in later life she only saw her father seven times in her life. So she's really a woman for our day, I believe, because she had such a difficult upbringing. Comes from what we now call a broken home, tough, tough neighborhood. It was ruled, that whole area of Canton was ruled by the Italian Black Hand. And if people are not familiar with that, that's uh, part of the mafia. Right. And um, in fact, they said that when when things got too hot in Chicago for Capone, he came to Canton. <laughs> Oh, so wow. um, it was a it was a very difficult um, area, and her pastor wanted to build a new church because the old church was kind of in disrepair, and he wanted to move the church out of that area, and the Black Hand was not uh, happy about that. His his um, plan prevailed. The bishop uh, encouraged him, and his plan did prevail. He did open the church um, a couple years later. Uh, with the help of um, donors and that. But the Black Hand was not happy. And what happened was um, a woman assassinated the pastor of the church. Um, So by the time Rita was six, her father had abandoned the family. Her pastor had been assassinated. It's actually, uh, it actually made front page page news, Father. If you look back in the the, uh, late 20s, you'll see the the story of... um, of the assassination of Father John Riccardia. So, um, it, amazing. And then, of course, what, a few months later, the stock market crashed. So um, she really had a very, very difficult upbringing. Right. And, it, um, it seemed more Cinderella rather rather than Princess in the Pea. You know, was, uh, yeah, she was she yeah. was clearly not raised to, to be a, a shrinking violet. So she 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 grows up rough. She sees ugly things that a child shouldn't see at that age. That can break a lot of people, uh, understandably. Uh, how do we account for her resilience? Well, um, she at, at later later in her. Uh, so she was, you know, she went to school, she went to Catholic school, uh, actually came out of Catholic school because, again, the sisters were not nice to her because she was from a broken home. Mm-hmm. Um, her mother had some depression issues and things like that. So she chose to go the route of being strong, and thank God she did. She ended right. up becoming sick in high school and um, really was very, very seriously sick. She was, mm-hmm. I mean... Um, probably close to um, losing her life because of her illness and with her stomach. She had something called a drop stomach. She couldn't eat. She oh, lost all oh. kind of weight. She couldn't eat. And then um, her mother took her to see a local woman uh, who is now um, on the road to sainthood. Her name was Rhoda Wise. And when she went to see Rhoda Wise, um, Rhoda Wise gave her a novena to mm-hmm. St. Therese, Mm-hmm. And she said the novena, and on the ninth day she was completely healed. Uh, Barbara, I want to jump forward a little bit because I, I, I don't want I want people to buy your book and not hear the whole story of the book. There are people <laughs> who want to know how how did how did this this young woman with illness and sickness and grew up rough somehow she enters religious life and then she becomes the founder of of a great Catholic media network. How did she get started in that? Well, she uh, after she was healed, Father, it changed everything, changed the mm-hmm. whole thing. She went, she started going to church, and um, she got the call in front of kneeling in front of a statue that she was supposed to become a nun, and ended up entering uh, the Poor Clares 
in Cleveland and coming back to Canton. Uh, and then, again, she was um, – when she started the um, the network, it really – she didn't go to Alabama to start a, a uh, television network. She went there to open a monastery for um, – because to pray for uh, racial tension because that was in the 60s, Father, and she went down to Birmingham. And if you remember, Birmingham was called Bombingham then, because they used to no, blow it was, up black it, was, it was a sad and, and, and ugly time. And it seems to be an unlikely context for ultimately building up uh, the Eternal Word Television Network. Everything about her is completely unlikely, Father. She is, that's why it's called The Amazing Life. She is completely unlikely. Uh, a, a little girl from Canton, Ohio, who was a nobody, who ended up, literally starting the largest religious network in the world, and I believe saving the Catholic faith in the United States of America. <laughs> well, you know, her, she's done. Her, her influence, her vision, her courage, and not a woman, a woman of strong will, but not a woman of self-will, uh, someone who wanted to submit to Christ because she knew him, and because she knew him, she loved him. Uh, she loved him because she knew what he had done for her, and she could not remain silent about who Christ is and who and what he has to offer to, to the whole world. And I think that, you know, since the time of the founding of EWTN, when, when media have, have exploded, and usually not for the good, it's heartening to know that so many Catholic institutions, so many Catholic media institutions, including uh, our own The Station of the Cross, and then, of course, your own Living Bread Network, can trace their, uh, their very proud lineage back to the vision and faith of Mother Angelica. Barbara, where, where can listeners find Living Bread Radio Network? Livingbreadradio.com. Uh, that will give you to uh, get the uh, Living Bread Radio Network. We're very happy to partner with you and, and carry the Catholic Current, Father. Um, also, they can go to uh, MotherAngelicaMuseum.com if they want to learn more about coming here and seeing the mu museum we have for this wonderful woman. Uh, Amazing Life of Rita Rizzo can be found in any of the Catholic bookstores in uh, the United States. It's available yeah. everywhere. Barbara Gaskell of the Living Bread Radio Network, thank you for being a very fine guest. God bless your good work. Thank you, Father. I'm Jesuit Father Robert McCaig, your host here every day at the Catholic Current. Join us tomorrow. We're going to welcome back Kristen Barlow of the Dear Kristen YouTube channel. We're going to be talking about how do you experience and express joy? A good question to ask during the, the week after Easter. Through the intercession of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, may Mary God bless you, keep you from all harm and every evil to reach the happiness of heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, go in peace and please pray for me.